0: I reacted to what I didn't have, okay? And I think what I didn't have is a is a home, a certain lifestyle that I felt that the fact of moving the whole time didn't give me. It's kind of interesting to feel that I went into designing homes and furniture, but I didn't have a physical home, which I wanted, where we'd always go back to.
1: Hello, welcome to Homing In, the podcast that explores the meaning of home in people's lives. I'm Matt Gibbard, co-founder of The Modern House and Inigo. My guest this week is the brilliant designer India Madhavi. I first became aware of India a few years ago when I visited the Sketch restaurant in London that she designed. Uh, The whole thing was pink, including all the upholstery and the walls. um, And there were some characteristically amusing David Shrigley artworks on the walls. Um, And I must admit, it completely redefined how I saw the color pink, and I think many other people as well. And it became a bit of a social media sensation, that space. Um, India has become known as the queen of color ever since. Um, She designed all sorts of hotels and restaurants. Um, But recently I went to meet her in her home space, so her apartment in Paris, which was a great privilege. Uh, And we had some tea and we chatted about all sorts of things. But what really struck me, I think, was the way that she's reacted against her childhood. So she was born in Tehran and as a child, um, she moved with her parents to Massachusetts and then various parts of Europe. And she never really felt rooted or grounded. Um, And what I think is really interesting is that now in adult life, she's established a very firm sense of place. So not only is her apartment on a block in Paris, but around the corner, she has a showroom. uh, And then just down from there, she has a studio as well. So she doesn't even need to cross the road to carry out all the functions of daily life. Um, I found this conversation really fascinating and insightful. um, And I very much hope you enjoy it too. Happy listening. Well, I'd like to start by taking you right back to the <laughs> beginning, not only of your career, but your life. Yeah. Um, so you were born in Tehran, is that right?
0: That's correct. I left Tehran, Iran, when I was a year and a half.
1: So where did you go next? Was it Massachusetts? In
0: Massachusetts. My first memories are in Massachusetts. My father, in fact, got a, the Ford grant uh, to go to Harvard. He decided to leave Iran because he was seeking freedom. And so we all moved my parents had three children at that time. I was the youngest and okay. moved to Cambridge, Massachusetts.
1: And did they have more children after that then?
0: And then two others. Two others, okay. My sister was born in the United States and then my, my younger brother was born in, in Nice later on, much later on.
1: And what's it like being part of a big family? I mean, was that tell me about that as a child.
0: Um. Yeah, it was always a crowd. We were yeah. like at a sort of a... A tribe, because it was us and 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 then friends of all of us, and and so I remember, uh, especially when we lived in uh, Neuilly-sur-Seine. I, I remember um, we had this big flat, and the kitchen had two tables, and it was a, everybody had uh, friends around, and so on average, we were always ten. It's amazing. Yeah, but uh, you know, my position in my in my siblings is in the middle; it's the middle position. Mm. So I had my own world in which I was evolving in my, my own dreams and my own uh I think a bit different from my from my family background and, and and so I think I felt that I was pretty free to go to be around people or not to be around people.
1: That's interesting. So do you think as the middle child in some ways you 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 can be a bit of a chameleon and you're you're quite free to occupy your own space, is that sort of what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. that's
0: what I'm saying. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. So, what was the family home like in Massachusetts?
0: I remember pretty well of this house. It was a double uh, dwelling in Cambridge, Massachusetts. There was a big garden, and there was a in balançoire, a swing in the garden with big elastic, so it was one of those fun uh, swings. And the apartment was not very colorful. I remember uh, sort of classic furniture. There's a big table in one of the rooms and which I used to make, uh, like a lot of children, I think, I used to go under the table to make the cabane, just create my own little hut and my home. Um, You know, in mid-sixties, in the United States, the the new thing was like color television. And I always remember all these cartoons, you know, the Tex Avery cartoons and all these very strong palette of colors. And um, there was something very uh, happy about the color palette that was available. Uh, it was all Technicolor and, and you go to school with your lunchbox and it was all Technicolor and then you right. had your uh, uh, strawberry milkshake. For, you know, it had that kind of uh, feel of, of, um, of a cartoon. And although the photos I have of that time are on black and white, I just see all of it in color. You know, I remember the the colours of the cars, the colours of my clothes, and everything was was really uh, colourful but and very saturated. Plus there's a very particular light on the east coast of the United States was a very orange light. Right. Something very warm and and I remember embracing. Um, also my my father the bookshelf my father had and always showing me books of iran uh and then the cover of the book there was the mosque of East the royal mosque of of this which is blue
1: so basically you, you were aware of your iranian heritage because your yes. father made sure that it was present how old were you when you moved from america
0: i was six when i left
1: six okay
0: yeah i think it was very easy to embrace the american culture as a mm. child but i always remember my father saying that speaking about Iran the whole time and and also I know he had they had many friends that were Egyptian from my mother's side uh that were teaching at m i t so I remember that kind of crowd also and although I realized i I knew that I had that heritage, but it didn't mean so much to me because you don't really know why you would be different. In that kind of configuration, when you're when you're a child,
1: I think I've read that you moved to France and you moved to Germany.
0: No, for, we were supposed to move to France because okay. after my father finished his uh, his program and he started teaching a bit, and then he decided that, in fact, uh, the most beautiful democracy of the world was France, and we should move to Paris. So. Mm-hmm we pack and and i remember my, my mother saying that she was giving away all my toys and i could only take a minimum you know so it's like also a sense of losing your your environment your belongings and that's where it, it really hit me uh that i was going to be a foreigner and so we we went to the airport this is my mother telling me because i don't have any memories except on the plane i remember that TW flight uh, to Germany, and apparently they told us, no, your flight for Paris was canceled because it's May 68. So you can either have a flight for Hamburg or you have a flight for Brussels. And my parents said, well, we'll choose Hamburg. And and from Hamburg, they went to Heidelberg. So this was a completely unexpected. And then um, it was as if my life went from um, Technicolor to black and white. So suddenly you go back to Europe where I must say the um the sky is much lower
1: <laughs> it is yes it is
0: right uh, the the suddenly you have like a gray sky really on you, yeah, and the architecture is rather stone or brick, and it has no. It has no um, comparison, so you don't understand what's happening to you. And then this is a period of my life where I was learning to read and write, and I remember going from learning to read in English to suddenly learning, having to write in Germany. In German, I mean, everything was kind of awkward. And
1: awkward. I and I think you said, didn't you, that you had a sort of rather Adams family style house.
0: Exactly. That was the most... The, of, All the houses my parents ever had, I think that house, although my memories in Germany were a bit appalling, I think that was the one thing I remember is like a neo-Gothic kind of Adam's house. A bit dark, but a garden in front and then woods in in, in the back. And I remember we could go up in the attic. It seemed huge, although it might have not been. But I just remember preparing Christmas with my mother and we would make all the... The decorations ourselves and everything seemed incredible we had private teachers for to learn german and we used to get into mischief the whole time it was just a very odd situation but I, that period for me is all in black and white one day i was walking down the street with my brother and i saw this german boy maybe 15 or something but he was looking at me, staring at me, and and then I just put my tongue out to him. Was like, wow. And he came down and he slapped me on the face. Oh, and it's wow. like, I just remember, I don't know, a certain roughness and violence that I didn't enjoy. My parents, I think, felt the same. So one day, uh, my father said, well, we're moving. We're going to drive down to the south of France and we'll go... We first landed in Nice until he found a, a place in Vence, and I mean there was an incredible school. He wanted us to go to for the first year at least. We were boarders because it was a boarding school. So how old are you at this point? I was seven.
1: Wow. Okay, that's young.
0: Yeah, that's young, and so that was another trauma to me. Hmm. Uh, but it it was beautiful because actually the sun came back. You know, I could yeah. see the light again. When we were in Nice, we were living in an apartment. By the sea, you know, weather was beautiful. The sky was, dégagé, and um, and colors started coming back to me, like the warmth and the colors, and and uh, going to L'Ecole Frenet was was quite an, a, 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 an incredible um, experience uh, because I think that was the place that I was. I was able to express myself differently than through language. Because, you know, at that point I had sw- switched three time languages. I mean, from English, English, which was my mother tongue, then Germany, then French. And, and um, I guess it's quite traumatizing in, in, in such a few years just to switch languages. Yeah. And, and the school offered any kind of means of expression from, pottery to woodwork to gardening to painting to theater to music and uh, poetry or anything that you wanted to to do you could achieve it there mm. slowly but surely i started you know um, expressing myself differently
1: tell me about your mother because you, you you touched on your father but what, what what was your mother like in your childhood but uh,
0: so my mother is uh First of all, she's still alive. Mm-hmm. She's quite a a, a fantastic, I, I think, lady. She she's from a Copt family from Egypt. Right. So Copts are the Christians from Egypt, minority. And when Nasser came to power, her family had to flee. I think her parents were separated at that time. With her mother, they first went to Italy. Then they hesitated between moving to London or to France. I think they decided to come to Paris. But then my mother went to boarding school in England. And then she ended up coming to Paris. And that's where they met. My parents met in, in, in Paris through a cousin. Okay. I guess she was expected to, uh, to marry, uh, I guess, somebody from the Copt uh, mm. community. And instead she fell in love, in love with my father who was an Iranian Shiite, and that uh, created a bit of trouble, but it's a very courageous and modern decision on her part. I mean, courageous because it was not easy to confront your family, and in those days you wouldn't maybe do that.
1: Yeah. I suppose one side effect of, of you as a family um, being what sounds like quite peripatetic and, and not really putting down roots and moving from place to place. But as a child, did you feel very unsettled a lot of the time? More
0: No, because it was unsettling to, to, to move around like this. And But also my family is like a tribe in a way. We were like a, together. There's this togetherness. And so as long as my family was with me, I felt very safe in a way. But it's true that facing school when you're um, a, a young uh, kid and and going in and having a name like Indian Madhavi in all these different countries is like india what and why are you called india and you're not indian and but and iran where is iran you know as long as i can remember i was always the girl that came from elsewhere and i remember the anguish i when i used to start in the school and they would read names and then it was like in in india ma ma da mm. <laughs> you always felt you had to adapt what it does to you it makes you understand culture I mean other people's culture, and you're very receptive to it, so you understand how you have to behave, how you understand situations, and you read situations very quickly. um, I like to say that uh, you're not one, you're just plural. Mm -hmm. And you also have to know that at that time it was also very different. Today you have so many different people. You see people like me. But the time that I lived, I didn't meet people like me. I didn't meet people that had traveled like I did, that had seen other cultures. Um, They were all very grounded in their community, and they had cousins down the road and cousins in, I don't know, some other province, but they would go and visit on holiday, which I didn't have at all. And of course, you're gonna feel different. So it was just us in our environment with people visiting the whole time, people from around the world coming to visit us. So we always had that, uh, I think, a wider vision of the world.
1: I often think, about people that have you know done very well professionally and made a name for themselves like you have there's often a sense of proving something to somebody do you, can you identify whether that's true for you
0: uh probably because um i reacted to what i didn't have hmm. okay and i think what i didn't have is a is a home is a fixed home which i wanted um, I wanted a certain lifestyle that I felt that the fact of moving the whole time didn't give me. I think that I reacted to all of that is is kind of interesting to feel that I went into designing uh, homes and furniture when I didn't necessarily have that. I mean, I had homes, you know, and home as a family, but I didn't have a physical home. Uh, where we'd always go back to. Uh, I think what what I had closest from that is my grandmother, my mother's mother, who was living in Paris and who herself was dreaming, her only dream would would have been to be a decorator. And she collected art, and she she had this feel, Mm. I mean, aesthetic,
1: sensibility. This
0: is, yeah, exactly. I always had that within me and, and I know that when I was thinking of uh, my future when I was a young girl, was always related to some kind of aesthetic dream and that's why I wanted to be a filmmaker because I could project myself in different worlds and I I think that was what I was craving for. Um, so then who did I want to impress? I don't know. I, I would say myself, first of all because I was... As a child, being the middle kid, my brothers and sisters had more determination in what they wanted to do and what kind of field they wanted to go in. And and although I knew that I wanted to be do something within the arts, also it, it gives you a very uh, different position also because you're not doing what your family did. I was choosing a different field. I was very much supported by my family and my both my parents my father always told me you know whatever you do in life make sure you you choose a field that you're really gonna like because you're gonna probably spend most of your your time uh doing that so make sure that you you really enjoy it um and uh he said whatever you choose you just go for it
1: just a quick reminder that this podcast is made by The Modern House, the company that I co-founded back in 2005. The Modern House is a design-led estate agency that allows you to buy, sell or learn about the most beautifully designed modern homes across the UK. At the moment you'll find contemporary houses in locations from Hampstead to Hampshire, some amazing mid-century flats throughout London, plots of land in Scotland, Camberwell and Hertfordshire, and a Grade 2 star-listed modernist masterpiece in Somerset. If you're more of a classicist, it's worth taking a look at our sister brand, Inigo, where there's everything from a converted Victorian sweet shop to a Georgian townhouse on the seafront. You can find links to both websites in the show notes. Back to the podcast. Well, fast-forwarding to the present... Mm-hmm. we're sitting in your apartment in Paris, mm-hmm. just popped into your showroom, your studio around the corner. So you've got an extremely defined sense of place now, haven't you?
0: Uh, yes. So I've been living here for a long time. Mm. Uh, for I, I moved here when I was pregnant from my, of my son, from uh, my son Miles. And so it's been 26 years. And actually, I started my company at the same time I had my son. I, it had to be all close by. So that my whole organization is on a block. Yeah, I don't even have to cross the street to go to work. I wanted to to have this as a route also for my son. And although my son has traveled quite a bit with me and then we've been going to Iran and we're going to Egypt in the desert, this place represented some kind of stability. That it felt good to have this, although this place does not belong to me. I'm, right. I'm renting it and I've always rented I'm renting it from the church right. and up to two years ago Miles was still living here he moved out now it's maybe too big but it, it, yeah it just feels it feels it's my personal landscape that's what I feel so it has layers and layers of periods of my life most of it is my my prototypes that I've just put here. Is it's not a decorated place. It's just things that have been here, that I've added and added again, and then sometimes I take some out, I move some in. So it's like a transitional sort of place, but I, I feel comfortable here. Yeah. And also, I think this is who I am. Okay, I, for myself, I, I just like the impression of things rather than really having things completely finished and uh, set. And I think that's always nice to feel this, that things can move around. It feels good to to change some of the furniture and say I'm moving this and then suddenly it looks new again, you know? Yeah.
1: So what would be your kind of starting point? Let's say this room was empty. Yeah. Where Where do you start in a room?
0: Well, you, you sort of uh, look at the structure of the room and where the light comes from. Yeah for me light comes of course from the windows but also from the fireplace and understanding where you want to sit and what you want to look at. Mm. For a long time for instance I had a very long sofa here Mm. and I was looking out this way. Looking
1: out through the window.
0: Yeah, Which was great and then um, when I separated from Martha's father I felt that I needed to change it completely and then I decided to create Two different salons. I actually really like to sit by the fire, and I usually use this little pillow I lie down. I read my books in front of the with floor. the fire on. With the fire yeah. on, and that's really um, I love that. And so then I also like that wherever I look, my eyes caught by something attractive. So that's why I have this view where I have a, a drawing from Raymond Petitbon. And so that's sort view out out out, out, of the there, door, out through like the door. Out through the door. Here I have a nice drawing of Natalie Dupasquier.
1: Oh, it, okay, it's so yeah. Nathalie Dupasquier on the wall again, out through the door. Okay, so you're thinking about what you're saying through the door.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's because also it extends the room also a lot.
1: Yeah. So your your pictures here are leaned up; they're not on the wall. Is that?
0: Yes, half because I'm a bit lazy. It's not that I'm lazy; that it's like. I haven't had time because I was going to take this one down, put that one right. up, but then I thought, oh, I'm sure I'm going to have to have to worry about repainting something because okay. I'm sure there's going to be a... I'm worried about the first impressions, really. It's okay, just so like the very first what bit. you feel. You feel it's lived in. Yeah. And I think that's the most important.
1: It, it de- definitely is that. It's yes. definitely really comfortable and... And it's and it's beautiful, but it it does feel very Parisian because you've got the parquet floor and you've got the typically Parisian yeah. French windows and yeah,
0: yeah and that. the
1: and actually relatively low ceilings like you often get yeah. higher up these big buildings.
0: And I don't want to have it feel too too of it too bourgeois, too conventional. Right.
1: So you said that when you when you were a child and you moved, like all of your stuff went into storage, and you know you just you arrive with a very minimal amount of stuff. So what does that do as an adult now? How possessive are you over the things that you surround yourself with?
0: Um, I'm not so possessive. I don't consider myself a collector. Yeah. I'm not so obsessive about materiality in reality. I, I like to surround myself with, and I buy things, and I buy art, and I buy furniture, and I buy objects, and I like to buy them. And of course, they, they have become part of a landscape, but I, somehow I'm not obsessive about it.
1: Yeah. So, um, how devastated would you be if a removal van pulled up outside tomorrow and shifted all this stuff out? Like, is there anything that you would Are really. i
0: planning to organize this. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
1: exactly. Yeah. Come to the UK and. From... Well,
0: you said you weren't. Gonna get <laughs> yeah, exactly. Upset you said about you weren't
1: possessive. <laughs> <laughs> but is there is there anything in there is is there like one thing that you'd be you'd be uh, really sad about or not? Yes,
0: I would be sad about all the photos, my family photos, which I should be scanning and putting in a hard drive. I think things like that would be really upsetting. Yeah. Me.
1: Yeah. Makes total sense. Talk to me then about the south of France. What's your place like in our? So
0: I. It's funny enough. I uh, bought this house a few years ago, three years ago. Um, just slightly outside of Al, on the other side of the river. And I bought this property. I wasn't looking uh, for this type of property at all. I was really looking for a pied-à-terre in Al more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And I came across this uh, property which is slightly off because it's on the other side of the river, but on a piece of land that's quite generous for the center of the city.
1: Yeah.
0: And it reminded me of Tehran so much. I'm very hidden. There is a very nice, very nice trees on the property, like pine trees, cypress trees, and a pool especially. So the house is from the 70s. Okay. And there's a pool right in front, a blue, a deep blue pool, but right in front of the house, like like in the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> like in Tehran, exactly with a pool house. Okay. And the house is quite... Generous for a a city house, and I don't know why. I mean, this house—it's not that it was like, oh my God, it's so beautiful. When I saw it, I wasn't—I wouldn't say it's the most beautiful thing. It was interesting enough for me to to think this house was for me.
1: Were you looking for a house or no? no? I
0: wasn't. I was really looking for a pied-à-terre, and I had—I picked exactly the contrary of what i was looking for <laughs> so it's, I'm, I'm
1: afraid so i've built a whole business on this by the way it's uh, it's what happens
0: and what happens. it's yeah. really also it's like when you meet somebody you know you think oh i have an idea of the one person i would like to meet is like this is them and you meet somebody that's obviously the contrary so it was really like an encounter of me seeing this place and seeing also the potential i could because you buy a house for its possibilities. So it's sort of a very bourgeois, French house from the 70s, but kind of generous in its volumes, generous in the, the, it's quite spacious. I really spent one summer in the house, and I wanted to understand how I could relate to the house, how I wanted to live, basically, and what I wanted to do. And so, uh, actually I could have not done anything to the house because it was, in a fairly good state and was functional. And then I realized that I knew exactly what I wanted to do, and I started working on it. And I had a was an interesting experience because I really thought that uh, I wanted to try to keep as much as I could keep from the house, even things that I didn't like necessarily, but that were working. So, for instance, there were tiles from the 70s. At first, when I saw them, I said, I'm not sure I like this, but it was in good state, so I kept it. I did the same thing with the windows, with the, with everything I could really keep, even keeping uh, some of the bathroom fittings that I reorganized. So, in, in reality, although I did work on the space a bit, especially the bedroom layout and it feels like a house the house was always there and that i added another layer and a new chapter to its life mm. there was something a bit sad of, about the house and so i felt it it was calling for some kind of joyful intervention so i have been working with a lot of wallpapers and uh, which i designed and made purposely for the house and colors in the kitchen and um, rather added than subtracted I'm loving it giving it love and what's really interesting with the result is and that I really love is that when you're in the house you don't quite know where you are (laughs) you know some people come and say okay I could be in Tehran right now right some people have said oh I think I'm in the United States some people say well maybe I'm a bit in Asia Mm. Uh, you don't quite know where you are. And so when you don't know where you are and you don't know exactly what also, you don't know what time you are, because I kept a lot of the old features of the house, you, you don't know. You're a bit lost with the location and also the time. You could be back in the, maybe in the 70s, you could be back in the 60s. And so it gives you this impression of floating a bit. Mm which I think is very agreeable. And I think that gives you the sense of of some kind of protection.
1: It sounds a bit autobiographical because it's got a lot of your different influences in it and you clearly identified parts of your life in the building and then it sounds like you've added other parts. And and it's
0: very, uh, yeah, it's very colourful. And, you know, some people have seen it and said, oh, I feel I'm entering a miniature, you know, because it's it's kind of uh, has a saturation of, of things, it's all my all the influences that I've always loved, and the way it's mixed. There's some very typical Iranian features because I've worked with colored glass, but then some very local works I've done. I've, I've built out a, a a veranda that's only a, a is covered in a mosquito net, uh-huh. so you're protected, and then you have fans, and so that that feels like you're elsewhere right away I feel very soothed and I when I'm down in Arle I I feel suddenly everything came into place. My my past, my future, my present and suddenly I managed very late in life to to actually have my own house.
1: It's very evocative the way you describe it. I can really imagine it actually. And having been to Arle a few times as well it's a it's a special place i think that the the quality of the light there the light's so intense and and then the photography exhibition that they have is that every festival
0: it's every summer what's interesting is that you know the center of the city is is mostly i mean it's roman and 18th century uh, so it's in stone it's a lot of history Mm -hmm. and i'm outside of that yeah so so i'm really on the other side of the river and i'm in this building from the 70s yeah which was so perfect for me because it i i know that if i were in a 18th century building i would be living yet again with somebody else's history and i was able with the 70s i was able to to do my own history i was able to make it my own really it's perfect for me in fact
1: yeah um, I'd love to move on and ask you about the future. Oh, the future? <laughs> you know, if you could imagine it, where would you see yourself living into the future?
0: My future, I always see it not in one place. So my future is is about sharing, you know, it's time sharing. I think that that would be my future because I, I don't belong to one place. I belong to so many different places. So... Of course, my future would be um, Arles, uh, of course. But, you know, as I'm getting older, I realize that I've never lived in my two countries of origin. I've never lived in Egypt. I've never lived in Iran. And there is a bit of a nostalgia. I have a place in Siwa, which is in this oasis close to the Egyptian border. And it's a house... Uh, that has no electricity, it's made out of uh, kershef, which is salt blocks and, and and mud. This incredible place that I love, uh, that was built by, partially, my cousin, Unirna Matala, who has an ecologist over there. And so I do go back to Egypt quite a bit, mm. and my mother will get a place in Cairo, so then it would allow me to, spend more time there. And I always fantasize on Iran a lot, you know, and uh, going back there is always... These are places I feel very safe, in fact, mm. uh, emotionally safe.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, so I, I don't see my future without connected to those places, of course. And then uh, if there's a, a dream place, maybe it's, it's having a, a view on the sea, you know, somehow.
1: What's your idea of uh, the ideal landscape? Where, where does nature come into your existence?
0: Well, first of all, in the desert in Egypt. Yeah. And so that's real landscape because it's, uh, although uh, the house that I have is outside uh, the oasis and it's really in the middle of, of, of the palm trees, mm. this white mountain on one side, the desert on the other, so that's nature but it's not necessarily greenery and then on the other hand in Iran uh, my father land at the north uh, northwest of Iran and um, I went there two years ago and there was one little very small mud house that my brother decided to rebuild it was completely a ruin in a lovely garden. It was the smallest little house. It was so beautiful and we went in winter. I think the weather was minus 10 degrees. It was really, really cold. Uh, the sky was crystalline blue, uh, very sunny. Uh, And just so beautiful. The landscape was beautiful. I think that we are all, we're like plants of a territory, of a land, no? And if I had to grow, I would probably come
1: out like this. Do you worry about getting older?
0: I was thinking about it. You know, how many options do you have? Mm. As you look at the models, different models around you, you either you can either sell or have a partner, or then you just go on and then see what happens. And then I I saw an interesting model that I kind of liked. It's um, this Swedish company called Svensden that was uh, sold to a foundation, and I kind of like it because it's maintained by a foundation. That is
1: good. Yeah, that is nice. Do you you like the idea then that your your work and your sort of artistic imprint survives beyond your life?
0: I think that if it can, it's done well and uh, helps continue what I've always believed in, which is, you know, working with local manufacturers and local makers and collaborating with people who have sp- specific know-how which I really enjoy if that means continuing that it's wonderful mm. for instance I was looking at this bishop right here which is done by the Émo de Longui, which is a very specific way of doing ceramic uh, so the,
1: and it, this piece is it, it's a, t- a table a, a seat or is it decorative what, it's a no
0: it's life's tool you know Bishop the bishop is the the uh, my iconic piece and this it's really that size normally and yes. this is a baby and so it's uh it's in ceramic and, and this is a cloisonne. and so it's all hand painted. It's sort of an old fashioned kind of mm. technique where suddenly applied on all over on this more contemporary shape really gives it a new life. Yes. And so I really like working like that. For yeah. me it's very enjoyable and I really believe that these know hows has to have to have to continue mm. yeah. and we shouldn't lose them.
1: If we could sort of summarize your uh, great contribution in some ways, or the thing that you're best known for, it's got to be color. Would you agree with that? Your use of color?
0: It, yeah, people say that. I think it's it's a very natural thing for me, mm. the use of color. I understand that I and I love color and I love to use color. And I like the vibration that it creates when you put them together.
1: You said, I think, that you like it when colours swear at each other.
0: Yes. Well, you know how people mix colours? is that they're they're very conservative in a way that they try to mix colours. So they put one colour and they say, oh, no, no, this doesn't work. So usually that means that they take one colour and the grade below and then they put it together and of course they match (laughs) so (laughs) so i like when colors really when you look at them you say "Mm, i'm not sure that works you know and then you make it work by the way you put them together the the materials you you use or and so it's more interesting it's more challenging to make colors have an interesting conversation if you just have Uh, two colours that fit so well, it's like having a conversation where you can say yes and no. Mm. When you start having so many colours and they start arguing, they can have a conversation and if everybody agrees in a conversation, it's not as interesting when there's a bit of a debate, no?
1: Yeah, the gallery restaurant that you did at Sketch Mm -hmm. um, in London, it is... Genuinely, one of the most memorable atmospheric places I've ever eaten food in. Really? Yeah. It, was, it, it was spectacular. Um, so what was the intention behind that space? The the kind of, the, the sort of bubblegum pink, Hollywood pink, inside a vagina pink, I think someone called it. Where did the pink come from? Uh,
0: you know, it was a whole bunch of things together and suddenly, you know, the solution pops out immediately. It's like when you're 20 years of experience come in like two seconds, you know. But it came together as me, first of all, it responded quite well to David Shrigley's provocative drawings, you know, it's a nice contrast. And and then I, I thought it needed to be a bit more feminine, and so I took the ultimate girly color and put it all over. All this happened in three months, so it was really, really quick. And, and what happened... um when it was done and put together, is that I realized how cinematographic it was,
1: totally.
0: how it came together as a whole, mm. and not a decorated room. It mm. came is like a one chunk, mm. and also how soothing the light was. Mm. The pink. Everybody looked so beautiful,
1: mm. so glamorous.
0: It was so glamorous. It was. I really felt I had managed to create a set. I felt that we were like in a Kubrick movie or um, a David Lynch movie. Yeah. And all the people there were actors, but they were the actors of their own life. And I thought that was really nice.
1: And it was incredibly... um well-received and hugely Instagrammed, famously like the most Instagram restaurant in London, etc. It
0: was the beginning of Instagram. Yeah. It was right at the beginning of Instagram. I didn't even have
1: Instagram. So what did it do for your profile? That Did, did everyone pick up the phone and ask you to design restaurants for them? or?
0: Well, I had a, a couple of phone calls uh, after that. Uh, one was La Durée, mm. And uh, they felt that there was, you know, maybe interesting because it had that feel cozy whatever salon de thé feel that they really liked yeah. for whom I designed uh three different places around uh one in Geneva one in Tokyo one in uh, Beverly Hills and it was like a garden of sweetness that I designed for them where Marie Antoinette was the main character and she's Marie Antoinette in Geneva Marie Antoinette in Beverly Hills imagining what that could be and then also I did a concept for Red, Red Valentino, the younger version of Valentino.
1: Is it fair to say, do you think, that you changed the perception of pink? I that think point? that
0: that's absolutely true. I, I changed... I think pink is not related... Is not a, a gender colour anymore. And people use... They don't only use pink in a girl's bedroom. Mm. You know, pink is used everywhere, and it's just become a color on its own. It, the signification of pink has changed. The perception of pink has changed. Pink owes me. <laughs> yeah. And you know, at the time, you don't realize what it was to, to create a whole pink restaurant because there was no mm. pink leathers, there was no pink velvet, you couldn't find them in there, so I had everything made. It was, I still have my box with all the different samples of pink because I was trying to find the pink that I wanted.
1: What do you call that pink?
0: The essence of pink.
1: Hmm.
0: That's what I call it. Now it's called the sketch pink, but I was looking for the essence of pink. And the pink that you have in your mind when you close your eyes and you think of pink. And you open and you
1: say, that's it. Mm. Do you feel that the sort of decorative landscape as a whole is kind of actually very much playing to your strengths at the moment? We're in a much more decorative phase, aren't we?
0: I think there's a return of ornaments. Yeah. We're in a world where we don't know what the future is going to be, you know. So suddenly we need to be surrounded and embraced and feel something sympathetic you know, so there's like physical comfort, there's the visual comfort, and then there's also the emotional comfort. And I think that ornament gives you that also. What yeah. do
1: you think color's going to do in the next couple of years?
0: Not not going to be a bit blurry like the painting behind you.
1: <laughs> Why are we going to be blurry?
0: Blurry because we don't see the future anymore. Mm. So it's a bit out of focus. Right? <laughs> That's actually what I did with the collection I had designed for H&M. We designed it during the confinement. And I took all these very simple patterns and I did them all blurry.
1: Absolutely. And we are obviously in very uncertain times. Do you worry about things? Or are you someone that sort of gets your head down and plows on?
0: No, no. It's there's it's full of anxiety, of yeah. course. And, and I think that people... We all feel it.
1: What's your way to sort of keep yourself kind of going in the right direction, just in terms of your overall happiness, your mental health, your well-being?
0: I do a bit of everything and a bit of nothing. <laughs> it's very, uh, I, I tell you because what really soothes me a lot uh, is a very open space, is nature. Because I just feel that if I go in a different environment and I have open space, I feel it gives me time. It it, is as if it protects me. Getting out of your routine Mm. is very helpful also to do things unexpectedly. Mm. The sense of now, now, the Mm. sense of uh, the present moment that is so important to see as many things that I want to see, to read, going to the movies, uh, you know, not letting yourself be sucked into this crazy life, but it is a crazy life. Yeah. But, um, I'm starting yoga on Monday. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Good. I'm glad to hear (laughs) it. Yeah. Thank you so much, India.
0: You're welcome. It was really lovely to have this chat with
1: you. Thank you very much for listening. To see photographs of the spaces we've discussed in this episode, please head over to the Modern House website via the link in the show notes. Remember to follow the show to hear about upcoming episodes. Please leave us a quick review if you have time, and of course share it with anyone else who might enjoy it. Homing In is produced by The Modern House and the executive producer is Kate Taylor of Feast Collective. Music is by Father. Thank you and see you next time.